This is Dr. David Howard in his teaching on the books of Joshua through Ruth. This is session number 32, Ruth Exposition. Greetings again, and now we're going to pick up where we left off in the introduction to the book of Ruth, and we're going to, we're going to get into the book of Ruth itself, ex, uh, exposit through the four chapters. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open to uh, the first chapter. And uh, some ways we can uh, see the book as sort of kind of an interplay between uh, the ideas of emptying and filling. The, in the first chapter, we see what we might call a godly family emptied. Uh, by the deaths of uh, people, and then uh, the godly family filled toward the end by the, the union of Boaz and Ruth and the, the child that comes from them. Uh, so anyway, the first part of the book, verses 1 to 5, sets the stage very quickly. It does not give us the biography of Elimelech, the patriarch of the family, or Naomi, or the sons. It just says, uh, Elimelech and Naomi were there. They had two sons, and then Elimelech dies, and then the two sons marry uh, two Moabite women, Orpah and uh, Ruth, and then the sons die. So all of a sudden, we have three women uh, left. We have Naomi, the mother-in-law, and the two daughters. Uh, she's from uh, Judah, from Bethlehem, and they are from Moab. And this is a time of crisis in the land because there's a famine. So uh, Ruth, uh, so Naomi. Uh, takes it upon herself to uh, free her daughters from any obligations to her and tells them that, uh, uh, that they should go back to their own homes. In verse 6, she tells them that because she's heard that there is, fam there is uh, food in the land of Moab and tells her two daughters-in-law to go back uh, there. Both of the daughters-in-law uh, daughters uh, refuse to leave. They weep and they cling to her. And uh, verse 16, or verse 10, um, well, verse 9, uh, she says, May the Lord grant that you find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Go back and find husbands there. And she kissed them. They lifted their voices and wept. And they said, verse 10, No, we will return with you. And she insists, No, you should go back. Uh, go because I am too old to have a husband. I, I couldldn't have hus children that you could marry. Even if so, it would be a long time. Uh, so go back. Uh, it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Verse 13. That idea of bitterness is one that comes to play uh, a few verses later. So they both, they all wept again. And uh, Orpah decides to take her leave. So she kisses her mother-in-law, verse 13, but Ruth clings to her. And uh, Naomi says, look, your sister-in-law is... is gone, why don't you go back with her? And then Ruth responds with this beautiful statement of loyalty. Uh, it's one of the most beautiful statements we find in the Bible. Um, it's not sexual. It's between a daughter-in-law and a mother-in-law, but it's, it can serve as a model for lots of friendships and covenants and certainly marriages as well. Uh, and she says, uh, verse 16, no, don't send me away uh, because where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. So right away, we see this foreigner from Moab embracing her mother-in-law uh, on a human relationship, but she's also said, your God is going to be my God. Uh, again, similar to how Rahab said to the Israelites in not quite the same words, but basically, I'm going to embrace the God of your 
uh, people and reject my God, uh, Baal. In Ruth's case, it's rejecting the Moabite uh, system of religion with Chemosh as the, uh, as the head. When you die, I will die, there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more, if anything but death parts me from you. So that's just a, a beautiful thing. So they go back home, and uh, when they get back to Bethlehem, uh, people come out and greet Naomi, and they can hardly um, recognize her. They said, is this Naomi? She apparently, you know, she suffered the deaths of three of her kin, her husband and her two sons, and uh, abandonment by one of her daughter, daughters-in-law. And so she says in verse 20, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. And the, there's a word play there that most of your Bibles probably have a footnote or a marginal note that explain that. The word Mara means bitter, and the word Naomi uh, has related to the word for beautiful or pleasant. So a huge change in character and fortunes for Naomi. She wants to leave behind a portion of her life that was beautiful, and she is entering a dark phase um, that she wants, almost seems to want to, to wallow in. Uh, and the reason is because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. He's brought me back empty. So this is the idea of the emptying, emptying of a family in chapter 1. So why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity to me? So they get back to, to Bethlehem, and this is at the beginning of the barley harvest. And that seems to portend good things. Uh, first of all, there's a famine in the land uh, at the beginning of the chapter, but now at the end of the chapter, they're coming back, and apparently there's been a rain and there's been a harvest, and that, of course, forms the background for the next couple chapters. So in chapter two, we have uh, the kind of the development of things, and Boaz and Naomi meet, uh, Boaz and Ruth meet. Um, the man who ultimately she will marry. So it be, it, we're introduced to Boaz right away in chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, Naomi had a, had a relative of her husband's, so he's also an Israelite from the tribe of Judah, uh, a, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And uh, for whatever it's worth, uh, Boaz's name means in him is strength, uh, the text doesn't make any point of that, but it's a good name. It's a strong name. Um, so Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him. And this goes back to Pentateuchal legislation in Deuteronomy, where uh, they're told to, when the ox is plowing the fields, let, let the tailings drop and the ox can eat because it's worthy of its work, but also the poor can follow along and glean the, what, what, is, what is left uh, as well. So it's a provision for the poor. And so Naomi says, uh, Ruth says to Naomi, I want to do that. And I want to glean among the ears of grain after him, uh, in whose field I shall find favor. She doesn't know who it is, but uh, uh, she'll, she'll go. And uh, so she sets out, goes to the field after the reapers in verse 3. And it says she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to, Mo to Boaz. Just happened upon it. Coincidence. Uh, or maybe there's God's providence there as well. And so uh, Boaz comes from Bethlehem and sees this. And he sees this young woman and asks the reapers who it is. They tell him 
who it is, and she's a young Moabite woman, verse 6. Uh, and she, verse 7, she comes and makes a more bold claim. In, the, in verse 2, she said, I want to go green, glean among the ears of grain, just sort of the, the, just the droppings, the tailings. But in verse 7, she says, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. Well, the sheaves are the, the bundles that are put together. She wants to be part of a more abundant thing, and, and it's a little bit more of a bold request, it seems to be, be here in chapter in verse 7. So she, she's come and she's doing that. And so Boaz then confronts Ruth or engages Ruth and uh, tells her these wonderful words and says, don't go anywhere else. Stay here. Uh, and my people will take care of you. Go with the young women. Uh, my young men are not going to touch you. Uh, so in verse 10, she falls on her face, bows to the ground and says, why have I find favor in your eyes? Why that, that you should take notice of me because I am a foreigner. So she's aware of her outsider status, and she, even though she's embraced Naomi and embraced her God, she's still surprised, pleasantly surprised, that someone from Bethlehem, someone from Judah, would welcome her, who is a foreigner, and, and uh, treat her so well. Uh, and in, in verse 12, uh, or in verses uh, 11 and 12, Boaz answers her, and uh, he says, because of your reputation, everything you've done to your mother-in-law, the, the loyalty you've shown, their uh, reward should be given you by the Lord. End of verse uh, 12. And look, and it's beautiful wording at the end of verse 12. It says, um, a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And... Uh, the idea of the wings of an eagle or the wings of a bird or the wings of the Lord is a very picturesque imagery that we find in the Bible and um, uh, in Exodus 19 talks about the they will that God is going to bring them under their wings is his wings uh, elsewhere talks about mounting up like with with like the wings of an eagle and the wings in this kind of context are giving shelter protection uh, so she has come under the Lord's wings to take refuge. And so she realizes she's had favor and she's, uh, she's grateful, verse 13. And so uh, he invites her to his table in verse 14 for a meal. And he instructs the, uh, the young men uh, in verse 15 to let her glean among the sheaves. And also, uh, verse 16, while you're at it, folks, pull out some of the sheaves and drop them and give her extra, extra food. Just let's, let's do this for her. So you see a, a spirit of generosity uh, on Boaz's part. It's not just he, he, doesn't be, he does not begrudge some extra tailings and extra part of the food rather than just saying, well, she can pick up whatever she can pick up. So there, uh, all these characters are sympathetic. Naomi, the, the widow, and the, the, uh, she's bereft of her children. Uh, Ruth is certainly a, a, a sympathetic woman. Boaz... Uh, as well. So uh, she finishes the harvest and brings the food back and shows, um, shows her mother-in-law what she got. She got about an ephah of barley, which is about two-thirds of a bushel of, uh, of the barley, and uh, comes back and tells her mother-in-law the story, and Naomi uh, pronounces a blessing upon him. Verse 20, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness is not forsaken the living or the dead. 
And uh, somehow she knows that he's a close, close relative of theirs in verse, uh, end of verse 20. So um, that's a good thing. Naomi says, keep doing what you do. And, uh, and Ruth then lives with her mother-in-law. Appears to be some passage of time between chapters 2 and 3. Um, but now uh, Naomi sets in motion another sort of a plan. And uh, she feels an obligation to her daughter-in-law. Undoubtedly because her daughter-in-law has shown so much loyalty to her. So in chapter 3, verse 1, she says, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Isn't Boaz a relative with whose women you, uh, young women were there? Um, there may be a future for you with Boaz. And I, as your mother-in-law, feel a protective obligation to you, and so I'm going to suggest some things that you should do. And it should be a place where... Uh, you come to a place of rest uh, there. The chapter begins and ends with the idea of rest. Chapter, one, verse, chapter 3, verse 1, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? And then um, verse 18, Naomi is speaking to Ruth and says, Wait, my daughter, till you learn how the matter turns out, because the man will not rest uh, except settle the matter today. So Boaz is going to keep working until he settles the matter and have rest, and that will be rest for both him and uh, Ruth. So uh, Naomi tells Ruth in verse 3 to get washed up, get ready to go, and go to the place where Boaz is and wait till he lies down and then go uh, uncover his feet and lie down there and he will tell you what to do. This idea of uncovering his feet, uh, we're not completely clear about what exactly that was. Um, some have just said, uh, it's just uncovering the, the blanket and maybe get un under the blanket there. Some have suggested it's a sec it's actual sexual uh, se seduction. Uh, I'm not sure it's that, but certainly there's um, some overtones of sexuality there. And um, I'm not sure I would have instructed my own teenage daughters to do that with a man uh, anytime, anywhere. Um, but anyway, so she does that, and Boaz, in verse 7, has eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, so he's maybe had a, a cup or two more of wine than he should have. And he goes to lie down, and she comes softly and covers his feet, and he wakes up and says, Who are you? Verse 9, and she said, I am Ruth, your servant. And then she says, Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Uh, some versions say, Spread your garment over your servant, but literally it says, Spread your wings. And I think it's a direct echo of uh, the reference in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 12, talking about the Lord, God of Israel, who, under whose wings you come to take refuge. So the Lord is going to provide refuge for Ruth. And here, Ruth more specifically asks Boaz to be the, the, the source of protection for her and refuge. And she says, you are a redeemer. You are a goel. You are this kinsman redeemer. Uh, and he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or old. Or Boaz, with a rather wealthy man, is probably middle age or later, and uh, she's a young woman. She could have had any of the young men. 
But she comes to him, an older man, and he's uh, grateful for that. And so in verse 11, he says, I'll do everything that you ask for, uh, because everybody knows that you are a worthy woman. Verse 11, Eshet Chayil, we've mentioned before. Erased it now, but we've talked about it in the introduction. She, you, this is the same word that you find in the book of Proverbs, an excellent wife. Uh, but he said, I, yes, I'm a redeemer, verse 12, but there's another redeemer who's closer in the marriage line than I am, so we need to talk to him first, and if he's willing to do this, then he, you'll have to become his wife. If not, then I will certainly uh, do that. So lie down to the morning, and I'll, take, I'll in, investigate things. And uh, she comes back home and relates everything to Naomi, and uh, things are, are, are set and primed for the, the favorable ending, and they expect this. Um, so she waits, she decides to wait, and uh, then Boaz, in chapter 4, goes to try to settle the matter. So in chapter 4, uh, Boaz goes to the gate, and of the city, and then the, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz says, come over here, let's sit down and, uh, and have a chat. So he also calls ten elders of the city uh, to witness this. Remember back in the book of uh, Leviticus, in, uh, in, in Deuteronomy, in the redemption of the, the, the brother-in-law ceremony, the elders are, are part of that, and if the Brother-in-law doesn't want to marry, then the woman is to take the sandals off and spit in his face. This is not, strictly speaking, your brother-in-law, and uh, things are a little different. We're talking about property here, which echoes more Leviticus 25 than Deuteronomy 25. But anyway, he brings the elders. The elders are obviously um, sort of the public um, custodians of the affairs of the city. And so... Uh, he tells the Redeemer about Naomi, verse 3, and she's selling a parcel of land that belonged to Elimelech, a common relative. And Boaz, in a straightforward and honest way, says, I thought I should tell you about this. You, sh you should have the opportunity to buy this land. Um, and so the uh, near relative said, uh, yes, that's great. Um, so I will, I will redeem it, end of verse 4. But then Boaz says, well, there's, a, there's a, a codicil that goes with this. There's an extra, in the fine print here, or this, uh, this extra document, there's something else you need to know. Verse 5, then the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, uh, the widow of the dead, uh, to, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Verse 5. And as we said in the introduction, in the introduction to the book, that provision is not found anywhere in the Pentateuch. Uh, so it seems to be something that developed as a custom uh, in the years, intervening years. But the near relative seems to accept the validity of this. He doesn't say, no, no, that's, you're, you're wrong, that's not the deal. In verse uh, 6, he says, oh, well, I, I, I can't do that then because that would impair my inheritance. So again, those are parts of, those seem to be customs that have developed that are not specifically mentioned back in Deuteronomy or uh, Leviticus. Uh, it tells now, the, the, the author of the book gives us a little bit more background information now in verses 7 and following. It said, this is the custom back then. If somebody is going to make this kind of transaction, he'd take his sandal off, give it to the other. And that's the manner of meeting, uh, attesting this and as a witness in Israel, which kind of contrasts to 
in Deuteronomy, if the uh, brother-in-law refused to do this, the, the, the wife, the, the widowed wife, uh, should yank the sandals off the brother-in-law and then spit in his face. So this is a much more uh, civilized kind of uh, transaction, but the t exchange in the sandal seems to be sort of, you, you take the sandal off, you're more vulnerable uh, to walking and stepping on bad things. So it's, an, it's a sign of exchange of trust, uh, honor between, between the two. So uh, verse six, I'm sorry, verse eight, when the uh, redeemer uh, said to Boaz, take it for yourself, he took a sandal off. And then Boaz said to the others, uh, you are witnesses that this is taking place. And everybody chimes in, uh, in uh, verse 11, say, yes, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. In other words, uh, may she be fertile and uh, have a godly influence and have children. Uh, Rachel and Leah were the mothers of the 12 tribes, they along with the concubines. And uh, that's the prayer, that's the blessing that the people uh, come pray for Ruth. Uh, and so may you act worthily in Ephrathah, be renowned in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord would give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, verse, 12, or verse 13, and she became his wife. He went into her, she conceived bore a son, uh, and uh, the women said to Naomi, you're blessed because the Lord has left you, is not left you without a redeemer. By extension, her Boaz becomes her son-in-law, son and uh, he will be to your restorer of life. She thought her life was over back in chapter one. This offspring now will be a restorer of life to you and uh, a nourisher in your old age. And your daughter-in-law who loves you, uh, who has more than seven sons, has given birth to him. So Naomi takes him, becomes his, his nursemaid, and uh, they gave him a name. His name was Obed, and he's the father of Jesse, father of David. So there's the beautiful story ending in the ancestry of David. The genealogy then links back again Judah with David, as we've said in other contexts. And it does end up as a beautiful story. Uh, everything works out well for all the characters. There's really no villain in this story. Um, it's just uh, sad circumstances of the deaths of the, of the husbands back in chapter one. This complicating, potentially complicating factor of this kinsman redeemer, this near relative, chapter three. But he himself goes along with the program and uh, allows Boaz to, to marry Ruth and Everyone lives happily ever after. Um, don't mean to be flip about that, but God is working in this, in this book, and we see the, the leading into the life of the great godly king, uh, King David. This is Dr. David Howard in his teaching on the books of Joshua through Ruth. This is session number 32, Ruth Exposition. Ruth Exposition.